Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics leaders. It's my pleasure to welcome today's program, Mehmet DeMercy, who is Senior VP of Global Solutions at E2Open. And today we're going to talk about mitigating supply-side service risks with AI. So last September, we asked members of our Indago supply chain research community, who are all uh, supply chain logistics professionals from manufacturing, retail, and distribution companies, is your company becoming more supply-driven? A majority of the respondents, 58%, said that they, be, they had become more supply-driven in response to the current market challenges. We've also seen a shift in people talking about from, you know, from forecasting to sensing. So what is the difference between the two? Uh, what does supply sensing mean? And, and how does it, you know, what benefits can it bring to companies that uh, enable it? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to discuss in today's program. And it's great to have Mehmet on the program to share his insights and advice on the topic. So Mehmet, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Adrian. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, some of these capabilities. Great. Well, it's awesome to have you. You know, we, we've had colleagues of yours there at E2Open throughout the years here on Talking Logistics. Uh, but you're a first-time guest uh, here. And so, like I always like to do before we kind of dive into the topic, I'm I'm always curious how people get involved with this crazy industry that we're in. So um, why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path, you know, how and why you got involved with supply chain logistics and what your current role and responsibilities are there at E2Open. Of course, Adrian. Um, again, a pleasure to be here today. So my uh, whole career has really revolved around supply chain. Uh, I walked the path to ensure I saw supply chain almost like from all angles. And really, that was not by coincidence. It was intentional. It was because, number one, I always viewed supply chain as like the, the quarterback of an organization, you know, connecting the dots, getting the stuff to the customer at the right place, right time, cost, quality. And secondly, uh, coming from a very analytical background, the application of advanced analytics, optimization, AI, ML, uh, into helping the world, supply chains, logistics flow more efficiently, it just always fascinated me. Um, so I have an industrial engineering background with a PhD focusing on advanced optimization, operations research and such. So I was introduced to the world of supply chain and application of um, different AI, ML and optimization techniques early on. And I fell in love. I never left the field. My career has taken me to roles in um, enterprise supply chain software uh, companies, big four management consulting companies, which helped me you know, learn about design, implement some of the best practices, but also to the industry. Um, that's what I mean by all angles. Um, I also led global supply chains. I was the global head of supply chain and logistics for, for example, a global industrial manufacturing company. With my passion for technology-driven transformation, um, I now lead global solutions at E2Open. Uh, basically what that entails is I lead our um, global pre-sales consulting capabilities gaining our clients' trust in solving complex problems, um, demonstrating what we can do, and also um, solution enablement within the company to ensure we have repeatable, repeatable, scalable processes for our team as they partner with clients. Yeah, no, great, great background. I, and certainly, you know, the area of, you know, data analytics, you know, machine learning, AI, all those things that, uh, you know, are part of your background are, you know, something that has become um, even more critically important you know, today than it was certainly 23 years ago when I first started in the industry. Nobody talked about data science, you know, back then, you know, right. everyone talked about how, you know, logistics supply chain was a cost center. It was not strategic for a lot of companies. And I think the good news is that the boy has that changed, you know, and I think it, you know, certainly the last couple of years has 
really opened the eyes, particularly for many CEOs and CFOs, those that hadn't already understood and recognized the value and importance of supply chain management. They certainly got the message of, over the past two years. And exactly. you know, with, with the wealth of data and um, you know, that's being generated in this industry and the, the opportunities for improvement, if you're able to really truly tap that data um, uh, intelligently, you know, I think, um, you know, offers a lot of promise for, for the industry. So, and then of course, you know, having worked in the front lines of this, uh, you know, on the other side, um, you know, provides you with some great uh, insights and perspective as well. So, so, so let's get into the topic now. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it seems like a lot of supply chain planners, you know, these days are talking about sensing, you know, just as much, if not more than, you know, forecasting, you know, these days. So I guess the first question is, you know, what's the difference, you know, between the two and, and why is it important to understand that difference? A great question, Adrian. Uh, now let's face it, forecasting is important. It enables a business to plan what they expect the future to look like and align the resources accordingly. And it's actually an important input to many processes that are important to the health of an organization, SNOP, financial plans, inventory, supply, capacity, purchasing plans, so on and so forth. Forecasting typically tries to predict future by using historical patterns, uh, a little bit more aggregate, a little bit more longer term, typically six months, two years. And uh, even companies that claim uh, we don't forecast, we're completely demand driven and stuff like that, they actually have some level of forecasting in the background. It might be buried in the logic of how they set inventory targets or buffer levels and buffer zones, and but there is some sort of expectation of what they're going to sell. But despite the importance of it, <laughs> there's a there's a universal fact about forecasts, which is they're pretty much always wrong. But, um, and this was especially felt around the globe, just like you said, uh, in the past two plus years, everything you can imagine could go wrong, did. Murphy's Law was proven. And um, the world was swimming in supply constraints, demand trend channel, uh, changes that are sometimes permanent and wild swings and so on and so forth. Now, the realities at the time when plans are actually executed are, are different than when they were forecasted. Um, and simply put, sensing monitors the supply chain, uh, the whole network with real-time signals and helps update and tweak those plans. It, it senses what is going on with the most recent information. To do this, it uses AI technology to understand and learn from the trends across a multitude of signals, in addition to just looking at past patterns. One of the more commonly understood concepts here is demand sensing. Uh, I think that's fairly well known uh, because it was introduced uh, more than a decade ago and has been providing a lot of value to the field. Um, now, demand sensing can use uh, things like point of sales data, retailer inventory, weather, social sentiment, current orders, channel promotion, so on and so forth to predict how market changes will impact demand. Again, artificial intelligence comes into play, provides insights, scalability, automation. And this historically has significantly improved the forecast compared to what somebody would be able to do through traditional demand planning um, uh, kind of strategies. And it helps enable a sense and response strategy, not, not just kind of plan and wish for the best, but also sense and respond quickly in an automated fashion. And now more than ever, like this is very clear that it's an important need for the supply chain. And why is understanding the difference important? Because these are related concepts, but in a way, they serve several, uh, different purposes, right? Just like I said, forecasting helps align resources to what the future would look like. So they're not just kind of walking blind. 
and helps uh, midterm sales and operations plans, for example. So people are looking at like one plan to at least uh, guide the company for. Uh, sensing fine tunes that plan at a very granular level automatically and more tying it closer to execution and enabling a robust sales operations execution process. Because without sensing, you forecast with some maybe simplified assumptions, so on and so forth, let the real world unfold, and then you scramble around to make ends meet. With sensing, you get some proactive warning and automatic adjustments to, uh, to kind of make that plan work and understand if you need to prioritize something. And now um, we have a newer capability, uh, supply sensing, which takes us a step further, uh, gives companies the ability to kind of keep the finger on the pulse. Are there disruptions coming? What is the impact? What should we do about them? Yeah, that's a great, uh, uh, you know, great overview. I mean, I think, you know, I think some people might think that, you know, sensing replaces forecasting, but that's not the case. I mean, the two are really complementary because, you know, there's that classic saying, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So you need some kind of a plan, some kind of a forecast, again, to, to pr provide at least some, um, some framework, you know, to work towards. But what has historically been missing or has been difficult to get is, you know, that sensing aspect of it to, to, to more intelligently, more proactively respond to the inevitable, you know, changes mm -hmm. and exceptions are going to occur to that, to that plan. So, so I think that was a, a key takeaway from what you said for me is that, you know, th they're complementary and, and it's the two together that exactly. really, you know, provide the, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest value. Um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, demand sensing and you're right. I mean, I think that's been a topic that, um, you know, folks that have talked about, you know, for quite some time. I think supply sensing is relatively new, at least to me. I mean, I think I don't, I haven't seen as much talked about that. So why don't you, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, um, what is it? Um, and, you know, more importantly, how does it work? Right. And hey, don't feel bad, Adrian, you're not alone. Supply sensing is a very new concept. I don't think many people have heard of it. And I'm very excited to talk about it with you today. Before I get to what it is, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about why it was introduced, why, why, why it was needed. I guess uh, with the current climate of supply chain, uh, you know, I think people guess why it was needed. But some of the biggest issues, as, as you also mentioned, are supply chains became more supply driven now. Like, what can we do? What can we get out there? Uh, sometimes we don't have what the customer wants, but like, how can we navigate, right? There's just a lot of disruptions and um, climate, geopolitical, healthcare crisis. So it's just become a bit of a mess. Actually, Supply chain now is a common term we hear on the news and neighbors talk about it. Uh, before that, people were like, you're in supply chain? What do you do? Now everybody's like, why are the shelves bare and this and that? And you're in supply chain, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> now, um, and also it's at the kind of the, the, the radar. It's on the radar for the CEOs. It's one of their top three priorities to improve upon. According to one of the Gartner executive surveys, that showed that uh, the number of CEOs who regard supply issues as something to solve uh, among the top three priorities they have to deal with going up by 75% compared to uh, just two years ago. And same survey found out that 70% of supply chain leaders today are actually working on stuff, events that they were not prepared for. So now that tells you something because with this increased level of volatility, it's very hard for companies to um, ensure flow of supply across the network. And most importantly, most importantly to the customer. In fact, uh, we have an inventory forecast benchmark study that we publish every year. For the first time in history, that study showed last year, overall customer service levels across industries 
went down. That's usually a metric that uh, trends up and up, but that for the first time in history, uh, in our tracking and publishing the rep report went down. But that puts um, brand loyalty and customer experience at risk, which has you know revenue loss type components, not to mention the costs you incur trying to prevent and expedite and mitigate and so on and so forth. Now, supply planning is a capability that is well understood and it is very valuable. It helps companies, again, um, plan how they can best fulfill uh, the, the world as they see it. But there are some issues. Number one, it is reactive. It's at the mercy of the master data planning parameters that govern it. Number two, it views the world as deterministic, meaning assumes the world will behave as forecast. So it says, it's basically arithmetic calculations. This is how much inventory you have. This is what you plan to sell. This is what's coming. That plus that minus that, here's the inventory you're expected to have this week. Well, what if the demand is way higher? What if I don't get what I wanted? It's short shift or it's late and a thousand other questions, right? So we need to complement supply planning as well with a sense and respond capability on the supply side where AI monitors, learns and understands what could go wrong, helps project supply reliability and its consequences. And if I can summarize what supply sensing does in four major bullet points, I would say, number one, it understands the variability and disruption risk in the network, constantly monitoring, uh, looking at uh, transactions, the network structure, demand, supply, transit, production, um, what was requested, what was committed, what was delivered, what is the real world looking like? It learns from these and proactively analyzes supply paths to understand if there's going to be any disruption. Without action, what would it look like? When would we recover? So on and so forth. And also, uh, one of the strong elements of this is this doesn't have to be just within the enterprise. Uh, it could look at the multi-enterprise suppliers, channel partners as well. And no, you don't need data scientists kind of sitting down and mapping everything and so on and so forth. It, it will plug into your ERP and transactional systems to, uh, to kind of figure things out. Number two, it projects the confidence around getting the right supply at the right time. Uh, basically, it effectively... Um, enables probabilistic planning. It monitors deliveries from nodes of the network uh, and uh, from a quantity and timing perspective, learning from historical recent performance combined with the, you know, the real, uh, real-time signals and trends. And um, it projects the likelihood of getting the plant supply at the right time at the right quantity. Is it gonna be late? Are we gonna be short shipped for how long? Uh, it builds kind of supplier manufacturing or transit lane um, um, risk profiles uh, that that really kind of enable you on proactive resolution and having a realistic approach to what will happen. Number three, it also projects and converts these into service level projections across the network. Um, things are short, things are happening, but what happens to what the customer sees? Because that's the most important, right? Um, service level is a key metric for supply chains. Customer service level usually is one of the top metrics for companies because it really marries supply chain to customer experience and revenue and so on and so forth. And these metrics are very easy to monitor historically, uh, almost impossible to project confidently into the future. So, but supply sensing can do this automatically. And number four, it also um, proactively um, recommends actions gives the ability to analyze, understand if something can be mitigated or how best to deal with it because sometimes things are just a bit unavoidable. Um, do we need to bring in more? Do we need to um, order earlier? 
do we need to update our planning parameters so planning knows that the lead times have just extended and we can't just wish and pray anymore? And something you said at the beginning, right? Being supply-driven. Well, what if we only get X percent of what we needed? How do we best allocate? How do we make the right stuff that kind of marries up with what people want? So again, AI at work for uh, insight, scalability, and automation, but from a supply and service side perspective. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot, a lot of great points there. I mean, a, a lot to unpack there. I mean, I like that last point because it is not just about sensing and seeing and, and understanding. You ultimately have to take some action on on kind of what what the data is showing you, what what the uh, uh, output is. And so, so I like that one of those components is the fact that there's some recommended actions, right, to, to take. Do you do you shift your manufacturing plan or what you decide to manufacture this week based on what's coming in? Do you um, you know, move product from one location to another, um, so on and so forth. So I, I think that that's a key, uh, you know, element of this. You know, I, I think, you know, similarly, I mean, we, when we talked to our Indago supply chain research community, you know, resilience was a key priority for them when we asked them, you know, what are some of the biggest, and you know, what, what are you doing to um, uh, increase your resilience? The top two of the top three things were supply related, right? They, they mm -hmm. want to develop stronger, more transparent relationships with their suppliers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wanted to extend their supplier base, right? So be diversify, you know, more, which I think all plays into, you know, what, what you just talked about right now. And I think from, from a supply standpoint, you know, we, we obviously all the congestion at the ports um, was a key um, factor in that, mm -hmm. as well as you know all the COVID shutdowns in in, in China, which continue, you know, exactly. to this day. So, so I think having that 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 visibility and that data to understand, okay, you know, what does it mean now, you know, in terms of what is the actual throughput time through the ports in different ports, and what is the mm -hmm. actual um, manufacturing ca capacity or or run rate at our suppliers to understand if they're ever going to fulfill you know, our orders or if they're going to short ship and so forth, having early visibility and understanding and data around that is what then creates that ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Spot on. So, um, you know, can, can you, can you know, share some, some examples of, of supply sensing in action? I mean, in other words, can, I mean, can you share some customer use cases? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, here are a few um, interesting use cases that kind of uh, are, different parts of the supply chain and the spectrum, I would say. For a major electronics manufacturing company, um, the focus is on predicting supply shortages and projecting supply of parts from tier two uh, components manufacturers at different confidence levels, 90%, 95%, 98%. So this company needed to make longer term customer demand commitments and revenue plans in a very competitive market. But the issue was, uh, the many critical tier two component suppliers only provided near-term commitments. They had a lot going on in their supply chains. So the company had to make unsupported customer revenue commitments that, you know, beyond the near-term horizon started feeling uh, a bit out of whack and uh, eroded customer trust. So um, for the past two plus years, like several manufacturers, getting materials in place is hard. So this prevented them from reliably hitting their demand commitments. And now they're able to use uh, supply sensing AI to automatically learn and predict tier two component supply uh, with probabilistic kind of confidence levels. Um, they then run supply planning scenarios to assess a kind of marry up 
90, 95, 98% confident what is coming. How do we best commit to customers? Uh, how do we marry up to what the customer wants and what would our revenue projections be? Now this helps them with obviously much more reliable demand and financial projections um, and um, helps them navigate the supply disruptions and so that they can have their tier one ODMs uh, really geared toward uh, supplying the right material to marry up with customer demand, being more confident of what supply they can rely on. A very interesting use case, actually. I, I hadn't thought about the problem this way till we started working on it. And uh, for, another, for a high-tech company, their focus was on streamlining the process of aligning with the supply base uh, on any supply shortages, their impact, and how they would be impacted in terms of their customer service levels uh, for different channels. Now, they were using, they, they collaborate with their suppliers uh, openly, and they were using a supplier um, ticketing system for shortages that occur within the lead time. Fair enough, very useful. But as the world started going crazy and supply shortages started exploding, this just became a process of just an unbelievable amount of tickets with imminent issues. It, it, it was just very hard to manage and react and try to mitigate anything. Now with supply sensing, AI helps them look farther out, not just like within lead time, it just looks at a broader horizon. Again, um, understanding what could go wrong without any action, when would we recover? What could the potential actions be? It really streamlines this process to communicate with the suppliers. And remember, it ties it to customer service level. So it's automatically prioritized. Uh, maybe something is short, but you're like, oh, well, you know, two weeks, I can stomach that. Oh my gosh, that component is going to tank my customer service level to 85. Let me focus on that. Uh, that became obviously a big efficiency for them. And then uh, for a major CPG company, their focus, they were, they're in a cutthroat industry. Their focus was, I want to pro project and protect my customer service levels. And they were able to look at service level actually in two dimensions. One, their own service level for, for, for the channel partners, the retailers that buy from them. But also number two, trying to predict the supply reliability out of the retailers to the end consumer, extended supply chain downstream. Now, uh, they monitor and collaborate with their retailers on you know demand, inventory trends in the channel, and so on and so forth. But now with sensing also, they have their, again, finger on the pulse. They can rapidly reprioritize, see issues coming, and rebalance inventory, uh, maybe change manufacturing or uh, some sort of supply pull. Before this capability, they were very dependent on uh, looking at what is going to be, you know, what am I going to fall short of within the lead time? How can I react? But again, that's too expensive. That's too late. Uh, when you look farther out ahead in the world of supply chain, you gain time and things get just cheaper to solve, just more cost effective to solve. And these companies also um, use supply sensing information to clean up their planning parameters and master data. So things are just in sync. So th th those are all you know great examples. And going back to the, the, uh, the first example you talked about with the tier two suppliers, um, you know, um, I mean, are they directly connected? To, I mean, because one of the one of the areas where a lot of companies have poor visibility or understanding is they have good relationships and good integration, let's say, with their tier one suppliers. But the moment it gets past tier one, you know, they really have, you know, very little or limited data or understanding of what happens further upstream. Mm -hmm. In that case that you talked about, um, do, do they have, you know, uh, direct relationships or integrations and data being able to pull data from those tier two and beyond suppliers? 
in this case, uh, they do have the major tier two suppliers integrated and, and some of the smaller ones, um, in, you know, interact through email or kind of flag file exchanges. But here's the beauty of it. That obviously is a, forget about supply sensing. That's just a very good way to do business anyway, because supply chain is connected. And uh, if, and by the way, the issues usually go wrong outside of your four walls. So uh, the opening up enterprises to talk to each other is just definitely where the world is heading toward. And I think the pandemic really showed us how important that is. Um, but even if the customer doesn't have direct connectivity to tier two, they can still utilize supply sensing because tier one is communicating and they know the orders and the responses and so on and so forth. So there's still intelligence to add. But if there's direct connectivity and uh, purchase order, inventory collaboration, forecast commits and processes around that, it just becomes richer and more value adding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, I mean, what is the the business case for supply sensing? I mean, what, what benefits can companies achieve by enabling? I mean, you already talked about, and I think it's a great point, you know, linking uh, supply sensing with customer experience and customer satisfaction and mm -hmm. customer experience. I, I assume that's one benefit there for, for companies that particularly where that's becoming a, a major competitive differentiator of this thing, you know, competing on customer experience and customer satisfaction. But I assume that there are other, you know, benefits and financial benefits as well. You're, you're spot on. And that's always what I count number one. Um, helps companies improve service levels, reduce lost sales. And again, even during times of supply constraints and disruptions, where taking a hit on customer service is just unavoidable. It helps you not drop as much, still control it and, and you know, get, get the right things at the right place. It helps them more reliably commit to demand and allocate in a more collaborative, profitable kind of way, understanding the likelihood of what supply you can bank on and what's demand doing and so on and so forth. It also helps them with better inventory control uh, because you can better predict supply so you can uh, put the right inventory, build the right inventory. And although I should mention this, although I'm focusing on supply shortages and gaps due to very obvious reasons, supply sensing will also show where you might have excess uh, because it links everything to service, right? So uh, I find this very useful because it, it will show you, hey, you're short here, but over here, you're well above your service targets. And then it helps with proactive excess uh, and obsolete kind of mitigation but also being able to redeploy without analysis paralysis, because it's just there. It automatically tells you where you're overstocked. Um, expedite costs obviously go down since you have more time to resolve issues and you, you sync up the planning parameters, really getting closer to a sense and response strategy. But Adrian, if I may, I want to tell a personal story that really hits home for me. In the recent past, when we rewind, if we rewind the tape a little bit, when I was the global head of supply chain and logistics for a major global industrial manufacturing company, I was the uh, a participant in a monthly leadership meeting with the executive board. And I was responsible to report on the number one metric of the company, number one, on-time delivery performance to customers. Um, this was during times of major disruption. The transit networks were clogged. Uh, and a few internal sites were also having issues, just performance issues. And a few suppliers were really struggling with shutdowns and uh, some quality issues they were experiencing and so on and so forth. So I would show them the executive board of the company, the recent performance, and uh, you know, without any issue, right? That that's easy to calculate. And I would say something like, hey, we're X percent below target, driven by this and this and this. We're focusing on these strategies. Uh, you know, I think we're going to improve and blah, blah, blah. And then the much dreaded question would come. Mehmet, where do you think our customer service level will be next month, next quarter? When are we going to recover? 
Now, that's nearly impossible to very confidently answer. So me and my teams, we had simple assumptions, some modeling, gut feel, and I would say, yeah, you know, we're going to improve by a percentage point and so on and so forth. But now imagine having AI help you with that. And um, it's very common for supply chain leaders to be in a position like that. And it's very common for customer service level and experience to be featured in SNOP executive reviews or monthly leadership forums and so on and so forth. Just imagine the power of being able to say, hey, we're 2% below. Looks like we have bumpy road ahead. It, it'll probably take two quarters for us to get out of this. And here are the gaps. Here's what we should be talking about. That's just an unbelievable competitive advantage. Yeah, that's a great that's a great story. I mean, it, it reminds me of you know the 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 famous Deming quote, you know, in God we trust, all others bring data. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think one of the one of the positives of the pandemic is that you know CEOs, CFOs have become much more aware of supply chain and and uh, its role and importance. But on the on the negative side, particularly for the leaders like yourself, you know, you're going to get those hard questions now more often. And, you know, it's one thing to answer them based on gut feel or assumptions or looking back on, you know, just some past history. Um, but it's much more powerful way to answer that when you actually have some some data, some insights and statistics, something that you mm -hmm. can, you know, some you can model and, and, and demonstrate to, to the leadership team and with, with some level of confidence. Um, you know, it may not be 100% confidence, but it's better exactly. than than just guessing or um, you know pulling stuff out of the uh, pulling stuff mm -hmm. out of the air. Um, so, so we're we're running short on time here. So I'm just going to go right to, to the last question here. You know, so as as a way to wrap up, I mean, how can companies get started? You know, with supply sensing, and, and you know, what what are some important factors or or capabilities to consider? Mm -hmm. uh, great question. Actually, if you're currently running a functioning supply chain, you already have quite a bit of the data that you would need to start supply sensing because the system will automatically build your network, understand the, the master data, transaction data, and start building demand, supply, transit, so on and so forth patterns. Now, where to start and what supply sensing should focus on it really depends on some of the pressing issues you're facing. Uh, the, the listeners will notice the use cases I brought up were just a little bit different. They were focusing on certain things that were important to each company. For example, do you have customer service level issues with high penalties, high lost sales, unreliable a delivery that is hurting the brand? Do you have unreliable suppliers or transportation lanes where you, you can't you can't trust your production plan? You just have to break into the schedule all the time. Do you have certain internal manufacturing sites that are just not performing and creating a chain of events where internally you're becoming unpredictable? Or um, are you more worried about the end consumer and the retailers not having enough and not you know, managing their end uh, appropriately, and maybe you're not aligned, maybe all of the above. <laughs> so the answers to these questions will help guide us uh, where and how this uh, uh, capability will come into play. But ultimately, real-time visibility and connectivity with upstream and downstream partners, are. this is only increasing in importance across supply chains. The access to multi-enterprise network elements make not only supply sensing, but just supply planning execution uh, much more effective. But it's more than just the access, it's the ability to um, analyze and even automate the responses. And um, for example, a, a platform where you can connect supply chains across enterprises, uh, bring data together from these disparate systems, providing access to real-time data that is cleansed and converted to decision grade and fed into AI-enabled planning, sensing, collaboration technologies, uh, that becomes uh, really kind of the future go-to. 
Yeah, no, I've, I've been a big proponent of network-based platforms, you know, where you bring together this this connectivity of, of trading partners together on a common mm-hmm. platform. And I think, you know, again, 23 years ago, this was very difficult to do, right? Because you had, if you had 100 suppliers, and a lot of companies have way more than 100 suppliers, but if you had 100 suppliers, you had to make 100 different connections, and it was 100, 100 different EDI connections, and then, mm-hmm. of course, your supply base is constantly changing. So, you know, it's a never-ending, you know, project. And, you know, fast forward to today with the more modern technologies, with APIs and web services and mobile technologies and sensors, uh, you know, actual physical sensors that are out mm-hmm. there transmitting data and, uh, you know, the emergence of these, you know, network-based platforms um, where you've got literally thousands and tens of thousands of trading partners connected together um, certainly um, facilitates that sharing and collaboration, you know, sharing of data and, and the ability mm-hmm. to collaborate uh, on these uh, processes. Well, uh, Mehmet, uh, you, you uh, I think you provide a great uh, foundation for understanding what uh, supply sensing is and, and how to how to get started. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a topic that's going to continue to be uh, on the forefront of, uh, uh, of, of, of supply chain leaders, because it's something that, um, I, you know, the disruptions are still there. Um, and this continues to be a very volatile and, and uncertain environment. So, mm-hmm. again, thank you for uh, making the time to be in the program. And um and sharing your insights and advice on this topic. I thank you so much for having me, Adrian. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and um, I hope to be back on, on the program soon. Absolutely. We'll, we'll love to have you back. And I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the E2Open website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment from Emmett, uh, you can post it there. And I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us. and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.